and people talk about trust all the time. They just don't necessarily use that word. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. about communication and it's about, you know, relationships and, and things along those lines. And so it's pervasive, but sometimes not quite as intentional as it could be. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Eric Thomas. He is a construction thought leader at Autodesk and host of the Digital Builder podcast. His focus has been on construction technology, the built world, and the exciting future it holds. Welcome to the show, Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's uh, It's been fun to kind of start this conversation and been a little bit eye-opening to be in the seat of podcast guest instead of podcast host as far as uh, pre preparation trajectory goes, but uh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little disarming at first. <laughs> I'm Happy actually thankful. <laughs> I, I'm very thankful for this opportunity, not simply just to be on your podcast, but it's it's put me in a mindset of very deliberately thinking about what I may or may not put my guests through when they come on my show. So <laughs> uh, thank you for uh, for having me on for both of those reasons. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. My, uh, my first time being a guest, I just started asking questions. I couldn't help myself. And he was like, uh-huh, this is, this is my show. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> Just happens. Uh, well, I'd, I'd love to get kind of your, your backstory of how you got into the construction industry to start off with. Oh, of course. So my first step into construction, to be completely candid, was an accident. Um, I came out of college in 2009 when the Great Recession was kind of at its maximum peak challenge for finding work. And I had a four-month gig as a technical writer for a healthcare technology company and got laid off and then spent six months you know, sending resumes to anything that I was or was not qualified for. And the first one that finally hit and ultimately brought me out to California was for a small federal construction contractor called Innovative Technical Solutions. So I joined that team as a proposal writer, um, knowing absolutely nothing about construction or writing proposals. Um, about two weeks after that, Gil Bain actually acquired Innovative Technical Solutions or ITSI and ultimately turned that into their federal arm of their business unit, which still exists today. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started just writing very simple and straightforward construction proposals, very quickly got involved in some large scale infrastructure work, specifically in Afghanistan and the greater GCC area. Um, Gilbane ultimately transferred me out to Dubai and I was out there for about two years focused exclusively on proposals and then also contract, math, uh, contract change order stuff for change conditions for most of our Afghanistan work uh, because change conditions in an imminent danger environment are constant and pervasive. Um, right. Did some site walks out there and after I kind of got burned out on Dubai, I resigned and took an opportunity to travel for a while, um, came back to the US and worked for uh, a healthcare tech company for about a year and a half before jumping back into GC land where I managed a small marketing team for Trubet Construction out here on the West Coast. Uh, I was there for a little bit over a year and found myself just a bit burned out from the proposal management doldrums. AEC marketing, mm -hmm. obviously a large portion of that is always going to be bid and proposal work. And sure. I, 
I just got tired. And so at the same time, an opportunity to be a content writer for Plan Grid came up. Um, and I got hired in two, about a year and a half later, Autodesk acquired Plan Grid. And uh, so here I am as a part of Autodesk Construction Cloud and very fortunate to you know be hosting the podcast that I have on my side of the fence and spend most of my time talking to construction professionals such as yourself. Yeah, that's an awesome story. Uh, a great trajectory. I also graduated uh, in 2009. So I, I'm very well acquainted with the, <laughs> the fun of graduating in that year. So, so yeah, yeah, all panic, a... all panic every day. It's like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to send out 100 resumes to uh, jobs that I am not qualified for and see if somebody responds. <laughs> That's right. Makes you tougher, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thankful I'm past that moment in my life for, for the time being anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, me as well, for sure. <laughs> uh, well, Autodesk released a, a really comprehensive white paper a while back, really detailing the the state of trust in construction. Would love to, you know, get a, a quick recap and then kind of focus the conversation around what you guys found out through that research. Yeah, I I really loved working on this project first and foremost. We spent the better part of a year on it, and it was it was a labor of love and it was a little bit intense sometimes. But ultimately, we had some hypotheses surrounding how trust ultimately impacts outcomes for the construction industry. And trust obviously is pervasive in any industry, but it's not necessarily mm -hmm. something that people talk about in really tangible ways or put metrics against to determine how having a high level of trust might impact your bottom line versus having an average or a low level of trust. So we partnered with FMI Corporation, which is a large construction management consultancy firm based out of North America. Uh, this is the second project I worked on with them. Um, and basically surveyed over 2,500 people in eight different countries uh, from all corners of the job site in the office, specifically about trust. And in our analysis, we broke down the respondent pool into three categories, very high, above average, and average to below average. And like I said, what we were really trying to understand was the trust levels in construction across all these different stakeholders and how it actually impacts their bottom line. Um, and from a high level, what we found was the difference in business outcomes between above average and very high was substantial and substantial in a very measurable and meaningful way. And we saw that high trust organizations specifically are able to generate more repeat business, they retain their employees more, and they actually drive a higher, drive a higher level of success across the board as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, trust is is key. I know it's super intangible, but it's, it's the foundation of everything, yeah, especially and, in construction. And, and people talk about trust all the time. They just don't necessarily use that word. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. about communication and it's about, you know, relationships and, and things along those lines. And so it's pervasive, but sometimes not quite as intentional as it could be. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in defining the terms. How would you define trust in construction? Well, we broke it out into two ways. We, we defined organizational trust as the, the understanding and level of trust internally within your organization. So your internal project teams, your internal project site, everybody at the home office. And then we also broke it out into project and external trust across other parties. And those two things are very interrelated, but without one, you absolutely can't have the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's the 
the business case for investing and, and really building that, that high trust environment? Like what's the, what's the impact for construction? I think it comes out in two really specific ways. The first one is creating a positive working environment for your employees. And mm -hmm. then the second uh, second business case would be simply saving time and money. In time, of course, construction also is a different way of qualifying money because if you have you know sl uh, slippage and schedule durations, you're also wasting money. So it's all kind of interconnected. But those two big ones were the working environment and then just those cost and, and time savings. And as far as creating a positive working environment, like transparency is, is king at the end of the day. And for the high trust companies specifically, sharing project information and data ended up being a standard operating procedure that the average and below average companies didn't necessarily um, showcase as highly. And this is this transparency is something that's created from the top down, from the leadership level. Because if your team doesn't feel like they know what's going on and how the business is doing and where the next moves are going, they don't necessarily feel confident that things are headed in the right direction. The second aspect of creating a, pol a positive working environment would be having a safe and secure culture at work. And so high trust companies specifically have consistent processes to ensure that their employees know what to expect and what is expected from them from project to project. And then more importantly, they don't fear punishment for sharing bad news. I think this is something that is common in all industries, but I've seen it firsthand in construction where people are reluctant to come to the table with challenging information or bad news because it has such a, a big impact for the project. But when people are hesitant to bring that information to the table at the end of the day, they, uh, they ultimately might impact schedules in a very negative way by not sharing that information right away. And then the third tier for that positive working environment really comes out to being high trust companies develop their employees. So they define the roles and responsibilities for their team. They provide candid feedback regularly. And ultimately because of those things, those high trust firms have higher employee engagement, satisfaction and referrals. As many of our listeners know, the pre-construction phase of construction can often make or break a project. That's why it's so important to get bidding right. With Building Connected, MEP subcontractors can win more work with centralized bid management. Connect with builders on the largest crowdsourced construction network so you find and win the jobs you want. Manage all your bids in one place and increase your win rate by 25% with Building Connected. Go to try.buildingconnected.com forward slash bridge to get your free trial of Building Connected today. That's try.buildingconnected.com forward slash bridge. Uh, so one of my really kind of passionate topics is, is building that culture environment that is strong, robust, and healthy. Uh, I totally agree with all the transparency aspect that you were just mentioning there. Do you see that trend line kind of shifting in a in a good direction so that you know, more people are getting on board with creating those, um, you know, more transparent, high touch kind of culture environments, because it's typically something you don't necessarily think of. 
I with think construction. so. I really do. Uh, I feel like we're in a much better place. And, and I think part of it is just the, the ever-increasing diversity in construction. We've got more younger people coming into the job site. We've got millennials. We've got Generation Z that are a bit more focused on having conversations like this. Mm-hmm. There's more conversations like the one you and I are having right now that, that highlight the importance of this. And so I think 2010's construction industry looks very drastically different from this perspective than 2021. And and I think it's really encouraging. And even if we have an executive team that might not be as concerned about these soft skills that we're talking about with that, that positive working environment, there still is a case to be made for trust regarding saving money and time. And so we found that between the very high trust category and the above average trust category, most people would probably back up and go, okay, we're above average. That's, that's really good, right? Mm-hmm. The measurable difference between how successful above average and average companies are and the very high level of trust companies is so meaningful. And I'm not going to roll out a bunch of statistics right now. I think that's better digested in a webinar or if somebody chooses to actually read the report, but there's, there's a compelling case to be made and ultimately good, which most people think is satisfactory really isn't good enough. And only 37% of the firms that we surveyed across those 2,500 respondents fell into that very high category. And there were very few respondents that fell into low or poor trust. And this is an assumption, but my gut check would be there weren't very many poor or low trust organizations because those companies probably go out of business at the end of the day. Um, Because construction is so heavily predicated on those trusting relationships from all the different parties that have to come together to put a project together. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's interesting with the most people were in that good or, you know, slightly above average category because I think construction, it's not that they don't want to create the high trust environment. It's that they're, they're so busy doing other stuff. There's so many, you know, the, the main goal is to get the project done and get it built yeah. that they just don't take the time to really sit and think about how it's really impacting the the bottom line and build it and out. I know it's it's tough you know the you're, you're serving two masters there even if you back it out from from not just speaking about trust but you know considering innovation and construction in general mm-hmm. like you said we're we're our industry is builders first and the the main goal of course is to get the job done and finish those projects and time is short for exploring new opportunities. And so I think creating that intentional culture at the end of the day to empower your teams to successfully come to the table with new ideas and feel safe to share those and also feel comfortable and safe to potentially fail and, and not fail in a sense where the project is, you know, going to crumble and, you know, we're done, we're going to go out of business kind of thing, but just making sure that people know that we've, we've set up a system and a structure and an organization that gives you room to try new stuff. And if not, everything goes really well, we've put the guidelines on, to catch you and then learn from that opportunity and bring that back to the table for the next conversation that you're going to have. So there's just, there's intentional decisions that need to be made from the executive level, the project management level, and then everybody that's actually working out on the site in order to set up a successful environment like that. 
Yeah, I think it's destigmatizing the that failure concept. You know, I'll often say failure is just not trying something. So if you you try something and it doesn't work, you learn something that you probably shouldn't do, or maybe hopefully you learn something of what to do better next time. But if you never tried it, to me that's that's really where failure is. And obviously, you want the guardrails. So you don't want the project to totally uh, go under it <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, waste everybody's time and money. But and I, I think the the exciting moment that we're in right now in construction, which which has me really optimistic and hopeful, is like the diversity in this industry is is ever changing and ever growing. Like mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, construction traditionally was not a very diverse industry and and we're not obviously the best one at this quite yet there, there's still some some work to be done and there's a lot of opportunities to you know explore but at the end of the day having that diverse workforce brings so many different perspectives to the conversation that gives you the room to innovate in a really thoughtful and interesting way. Because if you have 10 people in a, in a bid review, for example, who are all thinking about the project from the exact same perspective, who have the exact same background, there's, there's, a, there's a gap there. There's, there's something missing and it's not necessarily substantial, but when you have that widespread level of diversity on your team, you now have that opportunity for somebody to raise their hand and go, well, in my experience, that's not necessarily the case. And this impacts this cohort of people differently um, mm. than, you know, everybody else that might be in that conversation. Yeah. You know, I think having that diversity of, of thought is really the, that's what innovation is all about. Yeah. And different perspectives speaking in. And, and if, if we got to go back to the, the accounting reason for, um, you know, building the case for trust, you know, um, those high trust organizations ultimately had substantial reductions in employee turnover. And of course, the labor shortage that we're all very tired of talking about, but it's still super important to consider as we, you know, approach construction and look at where we're going to be in five or 10 or 15 years, to be able to intentionally reduce that turnover is, is instrumental for organizations being successful. And those high trust organizations also have less schedule mishaps. And they also have extended labor overheads and less missed opportunity costs and li uh, liquidated damages associated with extended schedule durations. And then of course, there's the repeat business angle to consider as well. If your clients trust you and you do a great job on every project you bring to the table, the potential reduction in cost for chasing new business is, is very substantial, especially if you get to a point in your relationship with a, a particular customer where you're getting sole sourced for new work. You don't have any bid and proposal cost at all associated with those new efforts. You just say, thank you so much for that new $20 million project. Uh, we'll, happy, we'll happily get started on it for you. You know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so what's kind of a, a gut check way that firms can assess how trusting of environment they have um, and you know, take it from that kind of subjective measurement to something more uh, you know, objective and have that those KPIs built around it. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to really improve trust with your organization. And of course, technology can really help create trust by improving transparency, enhancing communication, and ultimately providing evidence of success at the end of the day. So, you know, leveraging the right technology tools to, to empower your team is, is a great starting point. But mm -hmm. if, if we come back to our report, to, to really improve those trust things, first you have to figure out a way to measure it. 
So if you're not measuring success and you're not measuring trust and you're not measuring how your teams feel, you don't really have a baseline to go against. And so sending out anonymous surveys on a regular basis to get a temperature check for your employees is a really great place to start for that. And if you do that on a regular basis, regular basis, you have an opportunity to compare how you're doing from prior quarters and then see where there's improvement or otherwise and make really tactical decisions on how you approach it. Um, another way to really improve trust at your organization would be to just really minimize uncertainty at your organization. So coming back to being transparent, ensuring responsibilities and expectations for your team are really well known, you know, providing ongoing and very candid feedback for your teams with clear and direct communication, and then also creating those safe opportunities for sharing ideas and being consistent about how you apply them from employee to employee and from project to project really go a long way in setting you up for creating that culture of trust, which ultimately will make its way into all of your projects and hopefully extend to the organizations that you collaborate with. Additionally, if you simplify how your teams communicate and collaborate, um, you make that communication easy and transparent. So, of course, uh, finding industry-specific software to create a single source of truth for your project data is a great starting point. But, you know, being solutions-focused and not blame-focused at the end of the day really pays dividends when you're trying to set up a trusting environment for your team. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Oh yeah, for sure. The, the blame game does nothing but uh, erode that trust. <laughs> and you know, it's unfortunate because I've I've been in in those contentious bid review uh, rooms or you know watch people struggle over a challenge on a project both in my time in construction at other at other companies and other industries as well and and that kind of conduct from the leadership level doesn't do your team any favors because it shuts down that safe space for sharing opportunities because your employees are going to be worried about getting yelled at potentially. But it also makes its way into your middle tier of executive leadership as well. If you see, if you see people high up the food chain legitimately yelling at each other, people lead by example, and that's going to make its way down to your project site. And ultimately, nobody's going to be comfortable sharing that bad news that we talked about a little bit earlier, because they're a fear, fearful that they're going to be punished. Yeah. So what's an example of trust done well? Trust done well. That's, that's a really great question. And I, I think it's, it's coming back to that culture conversation. So trust done well really rallies and centers around that safe, empowered environment to both experiment and innovate when your team does have the bandwidth to do so. And then also that, that safe opportunity to you know, make a mistake now and then and not fear that you're going to get reprimanded or lose your job. So I think mm -hmm making sure that you have those open dialogues is, is a wonderful example of that. And, and funnily enough, like 
the Digital Builder podcast that we launched in November is, is a really great example of that for me personally, as far as career growth and opportunity at work. So yeah, the the idea to do a podcast came up a little over a year ago. And my manager and my manager's manager were like, that sounds interesting, but we want to know the business case for it. And we had really deliberate and tactical conversations over the course of the last year. And COVID disrupted it a little bit because we weren't sure how we were going to implement in, you know, our new normal. But right. at the end of the day, I was given an opportunity to do a pilot of a few episodes and prove if it was going to be successful or not. And at after those two, the first two episodes proved to be very successful and I got the green light to do the thing. And if they hadn't been, it would have been an opportunity to step back and ask why, decide if we do want to do a few more to see if we can refine what we're trying in a different or better way. Or of course, the opportunity I was given was it was successful and now, you know, we're doing it every other week and it's the most fun thing that I get to do at work. So... <laughs> Yeah, I can, can relate to that. I, I love doing this podcast and having those conversations and <laughs> learning from different vantage points and, and viewpoints of, of what we were talking about earlier with the uh, diversity of, of thought and just giving different perspectives is incredible. Uh, what, what do you see as some barriers preventing a high trust environment? So I think uh, first and foremost, organizational size and scale can sometimes be a challenge here. So if your team is very regional in nature or you know a smaller company, say 100 or 150 employees, it's a lot easier to build those personal relationships because you can feasibly know everybody that you work with. And if you mm -hmm. work with a small pool of subcontractors, you know all of those people as well, and you've built those relationships. Once an organization scales by behind above maybe 400 employees, that's when it really starts to become more challenging to build those relationships because you don't necessarily have those personal connections. Um, additionally, those, those cultural barriers, of course, are, are substantial. So if you've got a toxic culture, of course, uh, I think step one is just acknowledging that that exists. Um, and that that's a lot further than a lot of uh, other people may go because they're just unwilling to have that very admittedly very difficult conversation. Um, mm. And just making sure you don't have the, the combative work environment that we were speaking about a little bit earlier. Um, and then of course, I think uh, delivery methods also kind of play into this conversation. So some of our traditional contracting delivery, contracted delivery methods aren't necessarily set up in a way that encourages transparency between different parties on a job site. And mm -hmm. exploring more progressive delivery methods like integrated project delivery kind of changed that conversation because people are now incentivized to be more transparent because at the end of the day, everybody is rewarded if the con if the if the comp if the customer is happy with the end result, and especially if you meet schedule or beat schedule durations. So um, those are just kind of the the common ones that come to mind for me. Yeah, I think that's a good point about the how the relationships are built um, based on the the contract on the projects. Is that you know a lot of times it's a baked in assumption of not if this is going to go bad, but when it's going to go bad, and it's just like assumed that somebody's going to do something wrong. And there's, that's no way to start a, a trusting relationship. If you're, you've already baked into the, the cake that 
they're going to screw it up and now oh, you're just absolutely. covering yourself. <laughs> you know, especially when you're setting it up to be like, okay, we're going to work together really well. But as soon as this goes badly, suddenly things are litigious. It's just like, oh, right. that, that doesn't feel nice. Like, am I really <laughs> going to give you full access to, you know, whatever particular nuance of project data I have? Or is that, you know, going to be held against me in a in a way that ultimately might impact everybody very negatively. So um, I think just being tactical and thoughtful about how we structure these, these org charts for you know, bringing teams together and then really evaluating what method brings to the table the most transparent way to, uh, to getting the work done. Yeah, uh, so the last year has really kind of thrown a gigantic curveball into how people work together and building those trusting environments. How do you see with people working remotely so much now, how does that fit into having that successful trust environment and building collaboration? So this is a really fun one to unpack from my perspective after sitting in construction for a very long time with actually being boots on the ground and doing site walks and, you know, being a part of that, that builder's journey. And then also mm -hmm. having the opportunity to step more on the, the software side that I exist in now where I, I, I support the industry, but I'm not necessarily in the thick of, of building like I once was. And uh -huh. so, you know, remote work isn't necessarily new to companies like Autodesk or some of the other more tech-focused organizations. Um, but at the same time, from my personal experiences, we've gone to this fully remote environment. A lot of my success as a full-time remote employee now was predicated on the fact that I built relationships in person when I met all of these people and worked with them hand-in-hand -hand for two years or three years before we became you know, fully remote. Mm -hmm. um, so I empathize with people who are joining a brand new team right now who might not get that FaceTime and have to go through that exploratory, let me feel out my new team and you know see who's cool or not um, yeah. in a virtual environment. But I think uh, since COVID has leveled that playing field in such a across the board fashion, I think it's it's really opened people's eyes up to the possibilities that remote work can offer to industries like construction that didn't necessarily embrace it previously. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting mixed bag, I think, because you can go anywhere, which is awesome. And video conferencing is, is great. You can have a lot more uh, interaction with a lot of people that you probably wouldn't have talked to before. And it's much more intentional time because you have yep. to schedule it. It's not just a, a random, you know, you bumped into somebody in the hallway, but I, I do really sympathize with those new people coming into work and that they've never met anybody in person. It's a, <laughs> like, how do you form those relationships? It's, That's it's really different. Tricky. And it's hard. And, and Zoom fatigue is, is something we all talk about. And it's a real thing. You know, when when you're on calls for four five, six, sometimes eight hours a day in my uh, in my case, like you get a lot of really great work done and you get to be tactical, like you said, because you're, you're scheduling that time. You say this 30 minutes is to talk about that thing. But those yeah. those quick human moments aren't necessarily um, is easily creatable in that 
that all digital environment, whether it's via Slack or Google Messenger or, you know, leveraging something even as simple as Asana to, to manage a project. Like the, the tools are in place to do this well, but I, I will be very interested, interested to see where industries like construction and some of the other more traditionally, you know, butts and seats type industries um, sit once, you know, remote work isn't necessarily the, the end all be all. And of course, our industry isn't fully remote right now, like the software spaces, we have people out on the job site, and we have people going in, and it's more of a, a blended hybrid thing. But mm-hmm. I think especially for the old school people um, who can consider productivity to be something that is visible and that you watch in person versus something that happens digitally and remote. Um, I think it was a, a, a productive eye opener. And in the sense of COVID, obviously, you don't want as many people on the project because you have to be able to implement social distancing. And so it just means that people are being more intentional about who is where and when and, you know, stuff like prefabrication, industrialized construction, and, you know, more controlled environments for, you know, doing some of these building. Well, they're not new ideas and they're not new technologies. I, I think more people are exploring these than ever before because it it allows people to build in a more safe way, considering the state of the world right now. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place. And there are others who want to take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com slash ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah, I, I like to think of it that the last year uh, demonstrated how the waters are are warm. It's, it's okay <laughs> to swim in them uh, and gave a lot of people a lot more confidence to use the tools and the technology. You know, they've been some of them have been around for a pretty long time yep. and it was just slower to adopt. And now it's like, well, we got to adopt now still to figure out how to make it work. And, and I think everybody's tired of hearing the term digital transformation, but I, I still, I still use it a lot because it's, <laughs> it's a thing. It's a truthy, real tangible thing. And in the last year in particular, construction has had a very accelerated digital transformation. Most companies had had some sort of digitization on the job site for at least five years now, but it might not have been a hundred percent thing, but this really eliminates, you know, silly things like paper plans, because if your decision maker is, you know, sitting in Boston and your project is in Dallas, 
if you're marking up paper plans and then say, oh, we'll send you a new ream and you know FedEx, you'll get it in a week. That's not sustainable. And and right. so I, I'm thankful for it because it reduces waste, it reduces re- rework, it does so many things that aren't even tied into COVID because you know everybody's working off the right set all the time. Nobody's surprised when there's change conditions. Everybody knows what's going on in a more plugged in and intangible way. So it's it's all good. Um, it's just a matter of you know showing everybody the value, and we've been forced into showing everybody the value recently. So you know here we are. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, we've talked a lot about the internal trust within a firm. How does that affect the external trust with other firms and stakeholders? Yeah, so those are so interconnected in a really meaningful way. So the thing you can control the most, obviously, is internal trust. They're, They're the people you work with and you collaborate with. And if you're an executive, you're you get to decide, you know, how the work gets done at the end of the day. And so having that trusting culture and setting the bar high from the leadership level on down ultimately makes its way into how your team collaborates with all the stakeholders across the project. Because as you and I know, if you have a $400 million project, you know, in a very dense or urban environment, the amount of people that have to collaborate lockstep every single day is tremendous. And everything you can do to improve those relationships should be front of mind for anybody who is trying to, you know, make sure you're on schedule, on track, on budget and everything along those lines. Um, At the end of the day, those relationships are just so meaningful and, and getting that work done is always built on trust. And so coming back to the fact that we didn't think there were many poor trust respondents in our pool, ultimately, because those companies went out of business. I think that circumstances like we're talking about right now, really prove that case. Because if if you're awful to collaborate with, if you've got a bad reputation as a, as a builder or an owner or a sub or, or whatever that might be, um, that does get around. Construction's a small um, cohort of people and everybody knows each other. And so, you know, building those positive relationships and focusing on on how you can do better and be better and, and build in a more innovative way should be paramount for everybody who sets foot on the job site. Yeah, so it really starts inside out. Huh? You know, get your uh, intentional focuses on your people, build out those processes, focus on those relationships, and that will flow into how they're treating people outside the firm as well. Absolutely. It's it's all interconnected, but the the internal trust is the one that, you know, impacts a particular company's bottom line the most because again they can they can control that one more. And then also it's it's one that they can see unfold and and measure like we were talking about earlier and, and all those other things that really set you up for success to, you know, continue facilitating that trusting environment. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, what are some ways that construction companies can really improve that trust? Like what, what's the, what's the low hanging fruit there that people can go, all right, this is my next thing to, to focus on. I think 
it's it all comes back to culture. I, I on my notes in front of me, I actually have culture written ten times in a line. In the <laughs> it's just like this is this is the important thing because key ingredient. <laughs> yeah, the key ingredient is is just setting up that that right uh, that right space to to you know come together and collaborate. And you really have to put your people first. Your your people are your most important asset. They're they're the ones out in the field getting the job done. And you know eighty percent of construction is is on those project sites. And so making sure you're empowering the right people at the right time and setting them for up for success is is just so important and also just getting alignment across all of your team members like you don't have to step back from the executive level or a mid-tier level or anything even if you have a small team you manage like you can mm -hmm. be tactical and and talk about this too you don't necessarily have to say we're here to you know learn about trusting each other better there's there's other ways you can frame that that feel more topical for construction and might resonate more but that that intention um, is is huge and just owning it from the leadership level and understanding that these changes do take time to implement that that really makes um, makes our you know our audience here, more successful at the end of the day and ultimately gives them a chance to create a more trusting environment across all of their different teams at all different levels from the leadership level down to you know a small cohort of even five or six people yeah you know i think the realization that it takes time and that it's not a it's not just a one and done conversation it's a consistency play as well and give it some time and some space to take root and take hold and then keep coming back to it because if you take your eye off that intentionality it's can slip away very easily. Absolutely. And that's what was so much fun about putting this, this report together was we, we got the chance to talk to a lot of customers and other people in the industry and hear their voice about how they felt about this particular topic. And, and most of them were very transparent that they, they understood the, the importance of it, even if they weren't using the same language that we were in our survey. And they also understood that, you know, transparency is so important at the, the, at the end of the day too and that goes upwards and downwards so you know if your team doesn't feel like they know what's going on they don't feel like they know how successful the business is going to be they're not sure you know how things are going to look when this job finishes and they might not have been awarded another one yet that uncertainty really impacts how people perform and how they, they you know bring um, their best self to the table at the end of the day sure yeah absolutely well, I'd love for you to tell people what uh, what Digital Builder Podcast is all about and, and how they can get a hold of you. <laughs> yeah, so Digital Builder is a, is a bi-weekly show that, of course, is sponsored by Autodesk. And so I bring on industry professionals, some customers, some Autodesk um, thought leaders to really step back and deconstruct the most important themes and topics for the future of the construction industry. So it's a, it's a chance for, you know, construction peers to learn from those who have been successful and are, are really thoughtfully innovating and how they can apply, you know, what other people have done to their own jobs and you know their own industries and like i said earlier it's it's my favorite part of my job now because i get to hear firsthand from so many thoughtful people and intelligent people about what they're doing what they're building what's worked you know what they're excited about and the explosion of construction technology is so substantial in the last few years that you know there's there's so many things to consider um, it's, it's great to get you know firsthand experience 
and knowledge from those who are you know actually out doing the building. Um, and as far as getting a hold of me, of course, you can you can find me on LinkedIn. So it's uh, Eric Thomas. Uh, I work for Autodesk. Pretty straightforward. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter as well. So you can find me at builder underscore digital. Nice. Well, keep up the great work with the Digital Builder podcast. I look forward every time a new episode comes out. Thanks. I, I'm happy to hear people are, uh, you know, engaged and listening. And it's it's fun to getting to know some of the other hosts and all the other shows, because like, while we're all kind of adjacent to each other in this space, there's there's so much important overlap and, you know, just really cool conversations to be had. So I'm uh, I'm excited to, you know, collaborate again in the future and, you know, get it get to know some of the other hosts um, who also, you know, sit in this space as well. It's It's a lot of fun. For sure. Uh, well, last question that I ask all my guests, uh, what does innovation mean to you? That's such a good question. And I love that it's so, you know, just straight to the point because you don't get to sidestep it with, you know, fancy language and, you know, innovation <laughs> is this inspirational thing and it, it can be, but, you know, I think it's simply finding ways to improve or create new processes or ideas that bring positive outcomes to work or life, you know, like I said, a topical example for me would be that podcasting. We're always looking mm -hmm. for ways to bring content to the industry and our for our customers to help them get their job done better or more efficiently. You know, and traditionally that's been done through blogs, eBooks, reports and such. But when we started thinking about doing a show, um, we found that there's a tremendous value in, in bringing content to the world in a way that doesn't require somebody to sit in front of a desk to consume it. And in this conversational style is so compelling and, and important. So, you know, uh, just bringing that innovation to the industry, I think that's, that's paramount, but just, you know, optimization and um, just, you know, exciting, ex exciting new technologies and such. I love seeing it all shape up. Awesome. Great answer. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Eric, for coming on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I, I love talking about some of this trust research. And of course, uh, if you want to read the report, uh, you can reach out to me and I can I can send you a link to downloading that. And it has some, some really cool nuances that we didn't really have a chance to unpack here because they're very, you know, statistic and data heavy that aren't necessarily compelling in a, in a conversation fashion. But the, the, the case to be, uh, the case for trust is there. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's your opportunity to jump in and, and make it. And hopefully the report can give you some, you know, ammunition if you're out there listening to uh, to bring that to the table at your own organization. So, you know, thanks for having me. This has been a fun conversation. Yeah, it's a robust report too. Uh, we'll put a link in the, the show notes for it, but there's a there's a whole bunch of stats. It was great. <laughs> oh, thanks. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take: If you aren't focusing on the culture your company and team are creating you are willingly putting yourself at a disadvantage with your competitors. Eric said culture is the key ingredient and you must put your people first. When you focus on trust, you will end up saving time and money on your projects. Creating a positive environment for your employees is a great way to build trust. Second take, transparency from leadership down is a critical component of this. You need to clearly define the roles and responsibilities of each person on the team as well as the success metrics. If you aren't measuring success, you don't know if you reach the goal. It is important to find ways to get a regular temperature check on your employees. An anonymous survey is a great place to start. Final take, good 
isn't really good enough for a trusting environment. Take the time to slow down and intentionally unpack how to empower your team. Take time to know the person behind the employee and you will be amazed at the productivity gains you make. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.